Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Okay, so that music is a clue, all right? This is the second time you've been given this clue. We gave you this clue last week with this Sloan Crosley show. Was that when we gave them the clue? I think so. Well, you've been given the clue again. And so in nine years, we've given you two clues, but they've been recent ones. It turns out this entire show that you've been listening to for nine years, that we've been doing for nine years, is actually a mystery. <laughs> to us, I mean. No, so anyway, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you could figure out what it's a clue to, then you, you should email me, I guess. Or no, tweet at WNPR Colin. That's what you should do. Tweet us at WNPR Colin. If you, I mean, clue might even be kind of overstating it. I'm trying to make this sound more interesting than it really is. It's interesting to us is the point. All right, so uh, today is the fourth, and for now, for reasons beyond my control, um, the fourth and final, for now, episode of the Monday Colin McEnroe Show, where we're not booking guests, and we're just making it possible for you to call in. And what we're going to have you call in about, after I've said a few things, or you can call in now if you want, but I want to talk about electoral politics in 2018. I'm sitting here having, I'm in recovery from from going to the Republican convention uh, at Foxwoods, where they had their convention because it's cheap and there's lots of unregulated advice. Uh, I don't really know why they have it there. It's not a good place to have a convention. I mean, I'm sure it has its charms, but not a good place to have a convention. I, I could explain why in the show if you want. And then I'll be at the convention center here in Hartford this uh, weekend, uh, this coming weekend, which is the Democratic uh, state convention. They have it there because the Democrats, have, they always have to their convention. Everybody who works anywhere around the convention site has to be in a union. Like even the pigeons, if there's pigeons outside on the plaza, they have to be in the pigeon union. Uh, you can't have ununionized scab pigeons around at the Democratic convention. Anyway, um, so I, I, what I'm really going to be asking you in just a second, but I'll do it now just so we can kind of set this up a little bit, is at, you know we, we are now at a point where the 2018 political season is joined in full. Uh, we had national primaries, I mean, primaries in other parts of the country uh, last Tuesday. Now we're having uh, the two conventions here. Um, and, I mean, political geeks like me are following this stuff and have been for a really long time. But I'm wondering about the average person. Is this starting to mean anything to you? And if so, what? I'll, I'll go into greater detail. But, you know, are you planning to vote in the primaries on August 14th? Um, are you angry because you can't participate in the primaries on August 14th? Uh, are any of these candidacies starting to mean anything to you? Do you even know <laughs> who the candidates are? And I think you would be very much forgiven for not knowing. Why should you know now? Anyway, uh, our number is 860-275-7266. 
860-275-7266. And as I say, I'm just sitting here with no guests and effectively no notes. So, uh, But I'm very good at free associating. I want to tell a story, first of all, that has nothing to do with today's topic, except that, well, it doesn't. At least I don't think it does. Um, So this morning I had to go to my doctor. Uh, and it was just a follow-up visit. But also, I'm having terrible, terrible problems, which I have whined about a couple of times with my Achilles tendon, and they were aggravated uh, when I was running around Foxwoods this weekend. Uh, and and that's disturbing to me because I'm going on vacation next week. I would like to be able to move about freely on my vacation. And so my Achilles tendon is bothering me. So I go and I see my doctor. And, you know, these days you go to see your doctor and then and, you know, he's got the and my doctor's great. We've been we've been together for decades now. So um, I mean, as doctor and patient. So uh, you get all done and they've, you know, done some stuff on the computer. And then you go out to the front desk and the people at the front desk look up at what's on your page on the computer and, you know, you make your next follow-up appointment or whatever. So I go, <laughs> I go to the front desk. I don't know why I think this is funny, but maybe you'll think it's funny too. I go out to the front desk and so I've got a physical therapy appointment that they, they're making for me this afternoon because of my Achilles tendon. Did I mention my Achilles tendon? So I got that and uh, I've got another follow-up appointment with my doctor and <laughs> <laughs> and then she goes, now for the behavioral health appointment. And I, I said, the what? Uh, she goes, for the behavioral health appointment. And, <laughs> and I know what behavioral health is. I know what that means. <laughs> and I said, am I supposed to? Did he? Is that there that I need that? Uh, she goes, that's, yeah. It's, and so I'm guessing, because my doctor and I have been together for 20 years, and we have a very open understanding with one another. He would not have hesitated to say that to me. But <laughs> I think he might have just checked the wrong box. I'm assuming that anyway, that he just checked the wrong box. But so I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, I could either stand there and say, I don't need a psych referral, <laughs> which is never a good thing to be saying in a public environment with lots of other people. Like, I don't need a psych referral. And then I was thinking, maybe I do need a psych referral, you know, and I've got one. And so I could either try to straighten out this misunderstanding or I could just take my psych referral. Look, I'm under a lot of stress. I don't sound like it right now. I know that. But there's I have a lot of stress in my life, you know. <laughs> and I've certainly been in therapy many times. I, I would name all of my therapists to you, except I don't remember all of their names. I literally don't remember all their names. There have been so many. But I haven't been in therapy for a while. But I thought, <laughs> you know what? I'm just going to take this appointment. I, I'm I'm... 78% sure it's a mistake, but I'm going to just take this appointment because why not? I'll go see this person. You know, Maybe they can help me. All right. I don't know why I had to tell that story, except that it just struck me as a kind of a funny little moment. And maybe it's the universe. Maybe it's God or the universe saying, you know what? Go see this nice doctor and maybe, you know. Get a few things off your chest. All right. So anyway, that has nothing to do with today's show. So, to, But I'll tell you what does have to do with today's show. Because conventions are a terrible place to go and learn anything about policy. Um, I mean, it's a little bit better at the national level because there are some speeches about that kind of thing. Uh, and there's always like this huge kind of food market of, of, <laughs> of stalls set up somewhere at a national convention where people who are really concerned about climate change and the national popular vote and poverty and stuff, you know, they're trying to get, get you to pay some attention to that. But a state convention has almost nothing about that. It's a very bad place to learn 
anything about policy. It could be argued that it's a very bad place to learn anything about anything. Um, but as I was driving down to Foxwoods, which also I would like to say is not a conveniently located place. It's another reason I question it's I mean like getting to Foxwoods is like really hard. I like I like Norwich, it's a very pretty city, but you like have to go all the way through it. Anyway, driving all the way down, there's a long drive. And so I started listening to this really interesting new podcast on Slate called Lend Me Your Ears. And what they're doing is they're um analyzing um the politics of a series of Shakespeare's history plays. Like what is he really saying politically in these plays? And as the title of the whole podcast series might suggest, first and foremost goes Julius Caesar. So, I th- and I actually was, I was making a conscious decision. I thought, you know, that would be a good thing for, I have to listen to something driving down here because it's going to take a long time to get to Foxwoods. Um, and so I thought, I'll listen to this. And so towards the end of the podcast, the host, whose name I'm pretty sure is Isaac Butler. Is that his name? Yeah, okay. Uh, the host, Isaac Butler, says this. Caesar stood as a kind of ideal monarchist, and Brutus as the ideal Republican. And with both men, Shakespeare shows them as human by playing up their fallibility. He gives us a Caesar who bickers with his wife and suffers from epilepsy and isn't particularly bright. And he shows us a Brutus who doesn't seem to know up from down. Both men, the great military leader and the great senator, have become obsolete and neither realizes it. Mark Antony is the future because what matters now is performance, charisma, the ability to give a good speech and move the crowd. When I reread Julius Caesar, it's this reduction of politics to performance that feels so prescient. Caesar suggests that politics becomes purely performative when it has been rotted out from the inside, leaving only the veneer. But what it doesn't suggest is any way to rebuild that hollow core once it's gone. Well, as you might imagine, that also seemed like God or the universe talking to me because, I mean, and this isn't any particular critique of the Republican State Convention in Connecticut. It's more of an open critique of American politics in general. But it really does kind of describe, I think, a problem that we're starting to have here and that really, one would hope, came to a head in the 2016 election. I hope it's not going to get worse than that. Uh, But anyway, I, I just thought, wow, that's... (laughs) It says a lot right there. Um, All right. So let me tell you a little bit more about the convention. We've already got uh, Peter and Dennis um, uh, calling in. I just wanted to, you know, if you want to know anything about this. I mean, the other possibility, of course, is you don't want to know anything about this. And I would get that, too. Um, So let me say a few things that just might mildly interest you. One thing that might mildly interest you is you might assume somebody like me. I mean, I have left of center politics. I'm probably more of a like a Bernie guy philosophically than anything else. Um, You might imagine that I would be unwelcome at the Republican State Convention and that I would get along along with people or anything like that. And then none of that's true. I mean, I'm sure there's people who hate my guts there. But uh, in general, we of the press get along pretty much the same with both parties. In other words, there's a press table in the back of the convention hall. And, you know, Len Fasano, who's the Republican leader of the Senate, comes over and schmoozes with people and is happy to talk to people. And in general, nobody over the course of a very, very long speech and balloting process was mean to me at all, ever. Uh, And a lot of people I was very happy to see, people I've known for many, many years but don't have occasion to run into very often. So, I mean, that's sort of one thing to say is that 
I realize we've, we're at a very polarized state in this country, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that people get on social media. People who don't know each other, never see each other, get on social media and just flame each other and stuff like that. If you actually know people as human beings, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to set a human being aside just because they wear a different team uniform from yours. So, I mean, that's sort of one thing just worth philosophically observing. I, I, I may come back to that because there's a pretty interesting op-ed piece in the New York Times this weekend about that whole idea that, in fact, that, that we liberals need to stop thinking so disparagingly about people who don't share our beliefs. We might come back to that. But just to sort of give you kind of a sense of how this works. So the gubernatorial nomination, there, are, there were eight candidates on the board at the beginning uh, of the day. The balloting process was a way of getting rid of them slowly. By the way, if you want to see a pretty good condensation of it, our own Ryan Karen King shot a pretty interesting video, which is up on the Connecticut Public Radio page of Facebook. You can kind of see a little bit of how it looks. It's hard even for a, an artist of Ryan's caliber, though, to com- to completely convey how insane the whole process is. And both parties do it this way. But So you have... The, this um, first ballot, and and they do it by congressional districts and then towns within those districts. And so, yeah, somebody gets up and goes, East Lime, the home of the world's greatest lobster roll, and blah, blah, you know, cast its, two of its votes for Herbst and three of its votes for Boughton and two for Lumage or, or whatever. That's not an accurate total for East Lime. But, um, and, and so you go on that way. And there's 169 towns in Connecticut. So it takes quite a long time to go through that process. And it was uh, notable also that um, it, it took even longer because in the Republican Party with eight candidates running for governor, um, it wasn't as though a huge block of sentiment was coalescing around any particular candidate. So West Hartford, where I live, I was sort of interested to see you know, would they all like, kind of go for Boughton? But it wasn't. It was the same. It, was, it really sounded like a bunch of people at a restaurant ordering like different sandwiches. And it was like, OK, West Harvard has three Herbsts, two Srinivasans. I got a Boughton on rye. Uh, I got uh, a, a, the Loretti special. I mean, like everybody was, uh, I, don't know, I don't know how many votes that they have. They have a lot of delegates, but they weren't in a block. I mean, I, the first time around, it seemed like almost all of the eight possible candidates got something. So um, anyway, so that was sort of an interesting thing to observe. Then you have a second ballot. And by this time, you've gotten rid of two candidates. Mike Handler and Prasad Srinivasan are gone because they have to hit 8%. If they don't, they're gone. Um, so now you're down to six. And so they have this other ballot. And, and once again, it's kind of you're looking for ways. And this time, they have to hit 15 or they're gone. And at the end of the second ballot and the end of the third ballot, and the Democrats do this too, although I think they even do it on the first ballot, um, there's what's called a switching period. So now you're looking at a board, and let's say that candidate X, who you really like, uh, but you gave your vote to somebody else during that ballot, but you really kind of like that this other person. Uh, well, I mean, Peter Lumage would be a good example. Let's say you kind of like Peter Lumage, uh, but you voted for somebody else. Now you're looking at that board and you realize if you and, say, 30 other people switch their votes from whomever to Peter Lumash, you can get him over 15 percent and he can keep going in the convention and he'll qualify for the primary. So there's, there's a long period in which people who have voted one way in the, in the second round or the third round, 
um, switch their votes at the end. They go, no, no, going to vote this other way now. Um, so that's a very chaotic way of doing things, but it's very typical for state conventions. So and, and, anyway, that didn't work out for Peter Lumage. He, he never did qualify uh, in the second round. So anyway, that's how it works. And, and Mark Boughton, the mayor of Danbury, was made the winner, quote unquote, winner of the convention, the nominee with 50% plus one vote. Um, during that process, at the end of the third round, still nobody had uh, a, a clear majority. And so there was this long period of switching, and, and it was sort of the, kind of this drip, drip, drip process. The, the number three candidate, a guy named Steve Obsitnik, had let his uh, delegates know that he'd already qualified for the primary. They were free now to switch. Uh, to somebody else. And he kind of seemed to maybe subtly push them towards Bowden. So there was this long drip, 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 drip. And and people obviously want the, they don't want to be there for six ballots. They want this to work. So anyway, at the end, he got just, an, when he finally got that one more vote, uh, a switch from somebody else to him that put him over to 50%, uh, there was great joy. Um, so anyway, I just maybe give you a sense of what that's like. We're going to have a lot of primaries this summer. The Republicans will have at least five, probably six candidates in the primaries. They will have, um, coming out of the convention, uh, Boughton, Herbst, and Upsitnik of all qualified. They are automatically on the primary ballot for August already. Two other candidates who did not really participate in the convention, Bob Stefanowski and David Stemmerman, uh, will, uh, they are both relatively wealthy men from Fairfield County. They will run signature campaigns. Basically, typically you hire a company that collects signatures. It's a really unwieldy, difficult, hard process. Connecticut makes it too hard, in most people's opinion. But if you, uh, you know, they're going to just wind up paying a lot of money and they'll get the signatures and they'll get on the ballot. Mark Loretti, who was one of those eight original candidates I was mentioning, has announced today that he intends to be on the ballot in uh, in August. Well, since he didn't qualify at the convention, that means he, too, is going to try to go get signatures. My colleague at the current, Kevin Rennie, told me he has quite a bit of money left over in his war chest, so he may be able to to do it that way. Uh, so you're going to have a big, big field of primary candidates on the Republican side. Uh, there will be a primary for attorney general. There will be a primary in all probability for treasurer. I can tell you those stories as we get along if you know, there's nothing else to talk about. Um, and so I'm just wondering, as you behold this summer spreading out before you, there will be Democratic primaries, too. Uh, there will be a long campaign through these warm summer months. How are you feeling about it? Uh, let's start uh, talking to people on the phone. The number, 860-275-7266. That's 860-275-7266. Do you care about all this? And if so, what do you care about? Here's Peter from Stanford. Well, you know, I'm patient. I had 100% on my phone, and now it's down to 3% with your monologue. But anyway, it's a little humor there because I was waiting so long. But I was, I was thinking this, uh, that any Republican woman who running for, for office, mm -hmm. uh, if, if you could just – Trump is the leader of the Republican Party, the titular leader of the Republican Party. So I would uh, – a Facebook, uh, Facebook message, email them, write them letters, call them, say, what do you think about Trump's – views on women, minorities, and everything else for, for the women that are running on Republican tickets. Just just contact them and ask them, 
uh, or is it just an economic thing and they don't care about anything else? I mean, that's sort of the way uh, that I would uh, uh, go with the uh, evangelistic uh, supporters of Trump, too. You know, they, they only, uh, you know, they have, uh, what's the problem? But especially women, because Trump, I don't think he's a big champion. Well, he knows. He, he, he just flat out states he's not a champion of women's issues. And, uh, you know, there's no secret. He's not trying to hide anything. So honesty, you know, he's, at least he's honest. But Republican women, if it's not just purely economic, uh, because, you know, Connecticut, from what I'm hearing uh, on, on NPR, is just not really a uh, stellar and in, in great economic shape. Uh, and I don't know what uh, Trump's plan is to uh, fix uh, Connecticut. But what pinpoint, pigeonhole, I don't think there's too many Republican women who are, run, uh, who are running in Connecticut as opposed to, you know, like, for Congress or something. Um, you know, because uh, I'd well, be interested in the yeah. response for that. Okay, so um, let me just sort of point out one thing. Sorry about your battery, but um, let me point out one thing that I think is sort of a flaw in what you said. I think at one point you said, I don't know what Trump's plan is for fixing Connecticut. Trump doesn't have any plan for fixing Connecticut. I don't think Trump is going to be a big story in the 2018 elections here in Connecticut. I mean, he may be a big story, and what's happened to the Republican Party may be a big story nationwide. There may be states in which dissatisfaction with Trump will drive the vote a lot. And I'm not saying it it will have no effect in Connecticut, but when people pick their governor, they're picking a governor. They're not picking a governor from the party of so-and-so. They're picking a governor. And, and I would say the same with attorney general, secretary of state, uh, controller, um, treasurer. These are – when you pick those people – and, you know, even when you pick, like, your, your the state senator or state representative from your town – I don't know how much Donald Trump enters into those calculations. People want representation uh, and they want governance at the at this level. They're concerned. They're not concerned about Donald Trump. They're concerned about who has a good plan for Connecticut. They want a governor. A governor is a very personal thing, too. People have a much more personal relationship with their governor than they do with their U.S. senator or their representative. I, I mean, I don't mean face to face, but that, that person is in your life all the time. You're just sort of aware of that person in a much more direct way. So, you know, now, if you get over to the congressional races, I mean, there's only one congressional race in Connecticut that's competitive, and that's the fifth. Um, the Democrats will almost certainly nominate tonight uh, is their convention for that. Uh, they will, well, they'll almost certainly nominate a woman. Uh, their two choices are that I'm aware of, the main two choices. I guess there's the, the guy from New Britain, too. It's, they, could, they could get a dude, but they're not going to. They will nominate a woman. The Republicans uh, have, uh, as I understand it, two people in the field, one of whom is a woman. Um, I, I, the, that's not who they endorsed, however, the, the mayor of Meriden, Manny Santos, is his name. Uh, so I, I don't know if the fifth, the fifth district would be the one place in Connecticut where there might be some kind of referendum on Trumpism. Um, that would be the only place though. And I'm also not sure how fair it is to say to a woman who's running, a Republican woman who's running for, I don't know, you know, Secretary of State or, or or Attorney General or something like that. You know, Republicans just nominated a woman to run for Attorney General. Yeah, I mean, it's probably relevant what her views are about social justice uh, and equality and in enforcement uh, of federal laws uh, on equality. But Attorney General's, you know, I mean, first of all, she's a woman. She wants to run for Attorney General. She shouldn't not be able to do that just because there's this misogynistic, unpleasant person in the White House. Um, so, you know, but yeah, probably fair to ask. Uh, I'd go that, I'd go along with that. All right. Here's John. Uh, we're going to talk to John and Dennis and then take a break. Uh, here's John from Hartford. Hi, you're on the air. 
Hi, Colin. Um, I'm actually I live in Woodstock, oh. and I wanted to uh, to note your uh, uh, your your great journey to the eastern part of the state, and uh, we appreciate your sacrifice. But well, Woodstock's I, nice. It's hard to get down to Foxwoods. Uh, well, you know that's see that's part of the problem. I think is I, I think a lot of these candidates would be hard pressed to be able if you gave them a map of Connecticut to identify any towns in in Wyndham County. Oh, they you will know. be able to. The gubernate, the statewide candidates, they will know every one of those freaking towns by the time they're done. That's well, that's part of running statewide. I mean, seriously, you really do have to go everywhere. Yeah, I, I suppose, but it's you know when it comes to the larger conversation in Connecticut, we're we're kind of you know at the end of the line and and really getting getting a word in. But uh, what I wanted to ask you is, you know, I've looked at the candidates that are running there, and I, you know, this year I'm just not going to vote for a Republican no matter what under any circumstances. But even the Democrats, I'm just so not impressed. And I wanted to ask you, since you're much more kind of inside baseball, and and who's not running? That should be running. That should be out there because I sure don't see any real leadership in Connecticut, other than some of the same old names that honestly have kind of failed many times in running in the past. So who's out there that we're missing? Right. So it's not for me in my almighty wisdom. It's a great question, first of all. Uh, it's not for me in my almighty wisdom to say, oh, that person should be running in this. But I'll, I'll say two things that speak to your your point. One of them is, look. This is a year where the job of governor is not a very attractive job. Whoever gets this job is going to inherit a miserable situation, just the way Dan Malloy eight years ago inherited a miserable situation. This situation is looking on a kind of one-time, short-term basis, maybe a little bit less miserable lately, but there's a lot of intractable problems. They're going to be difficult to solve. So, uh, you know, in a way, if there was somebody with a really sparkling political, I mean, I'll tell you who won't do this. You can't get John Larson or Joe Courtney or Jim Himes, uh, that kind of person. Rosa DeLauro would never in a million years want to be governor, but most no, most of them don't. They have great lives <laughs> as members of Congress, and being a governor would suck. You know, you're held much more responsible for what's wrong uh, than you are if you're a member of Congress. And there's a lot more things, that's problems that you have to solve than there are solutions for those problems. So that's, I mean, in, in a way, if you feel kind of meh about the people who are running this time, part of the problem is that there, there isn't necessarily this huge untapped pool of brilliant political minds and, and brilliant charismatic politicians who are sitting this one out. But if there were such a pool, they would sit it out. <laughs> because it's not a particularly attractive proposition. And one thing that you do have to say is in that situation, one thing that has happened, for better or worse, is you've got a bunch of people with essentially no political experience coming forward and saying, OK, well, I, I'll take a crack at it. So you've got on the Republican side this guy, Steve Obsitnik, who's kind of a tech you know, a tech businessman, tech entrepreneur who's done very well for himself down there, uh, Navy background, submariner. Uh, he was the big surprise of the Republican convention, way, way outperformed what anybody thought he was going to do. That was partly good due to a really good floor operation, but also because, yeah, I think people are thinking, well, no, I, you know, yeah, sure, have a, have a, have a go at it. And you've got Stummerman and Stefanowski, same kind of thing, Fairfield County people, um, and, and who are just saying, yeah, I, I you know, I'm not a politician, but I, I think I've got better ideas than the other people do. Um, Ned Lamont is a, a, effectively in the same boat. I mean, he's going to probably be the Democratic endorsee of the convention. You know, he's never really held office and he thinks 
he can do a good job. So, I mean, I think that's what you get in a situation like this. The the career politicians, they don't really want this anyway. And and I'm not sure that I could name like five really great career politicians who I wished were in this hunt. But if I could, they wouldn't do it anyway. All right. So we're going to take a break. I'm hoping some women will call up. I think it's important to get women's. Somebody just talked about women, Republic, women Republicans. Um uh, we should probably have a little conversation about Aaron Stewart um, uh, some t- at some point in this uh, conversation. But anyway, 860-275-7266. I'm not saying only women can call it, but it would be good if some of you did. 860-275-7266. Are you completely turned off by the campaign season that has now been launched? Or are there things that you're managing to get excited about? He'll find out he's missed the boat. He'll be set behind that eight ball, too. Now, if your boss is a Democrat, you might better think about that because a presidential election is coming up soon. But if he happens to be a Republican and you ain't brother, then that ain't fun because that means you're going to have to change your tune. All right, we're back. It's one of those no guest Mondays. I just want to talk to you. Our number is 860-275-7266. We've got uh, Josh Nalea waiting there on the phone just to talk to you. 860 860- Two seven five seven two six six. Let me just jump ahead, Dennis. I promise I'll get back to you, but I did say we want to get to get some women's voices on the air, so let's do that. Here's Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. How are you? Just fine. How are you? I'm great, thank you. What would you like to say? Well, I just have a couple. Of, I'd like to make it as quick as possible. Um, I think that the state of Connecticut is a great state. Uh, I think we have a lot of opportunities and a lot to offer. I also feel excited that we are able to vote and to choose who we want to run our um, state and or country. So I am excited about the upcoming elections. And I do think that a lot has gone on in the last two years that we, the people, not only in this state, but in the country, deserve our people who are going to run the state to Tell it like it is to go across the lines, whether they're Republican, whether they're Democrat, whether they're independent, and they need to start doing their job. And they also need to start supporting one another, whether or not they 100 percent agree, but if it's for the better of the whole. And we're so far from that now. And, um, you know, a lot of things are categorized, men, women, race, color, all of that. And it just really needs to get to the basics of the people. And, you know, I said to the guy, Josh, who answered the phone, you know, it would be nice if a candidate came up with a PowerPoint plan that really worked. Right. You know, a presentation. Let, me ask, you, let me ask you a couple of questions. Uh, first of all, I, wa- I want to get to that question of, of identity and identity politics later in the show, if there's time. How, okay. how ultimately, first of all, are, are you eligible to, to participate in one of the primaries? I'm independent. Oh, so, so you, no. so you. Do you wish independents could vote in primaries? I do. Yeah. Yes. Um, is Definitely. It wor- but but you don't want to vote in a primary enough to affiliate with a party just for that purpose. I just think affiliations have just really gone. It's just over the top now. It's just yeah. affiliate to uh, affiliate. You know, right. I think we need to all be slightly independent and, you know, look at. Joe, because he's done a great job, and whether or not he's 
you know, in this party or not that party and help Helen because she's done a great job, too. Right. There are at least two people named Joe running, so you should be fine. Perfect. There's Joe Markley, there's Joe Gannon. Um, <laughs> we need so, a Helen now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's a Helen anywhere. Let me ask you another question. Okay, so ultimately, if you could, by the way, you're part of the biggest voting group, not block really, but a group in Connecticut. For every four Republicans, there are seven Democrats and eight unaffiliated voters. So, um, so if you could sort of boil it down to one very short statement on what will will flip your vote like you you're, you look at this whole field ultimately it's going to boil down to probably just two candidates for governor and two candidates for most of these officers there might be some third party stuff uh, Oz Griebel will probably make it on to the final ballot maybe somebody else will too I don't I don't know what what ultimately will do it for you if there's just one thing um I'm gonna say jobs in Connecticut Jobs. Okay. Jobs. So somebody who can figure out jobs. And and just to say, I am a small business owner also, but jobs, sustainable, good, long serving jobs. Um, All right. So that's uh, that's one precinct heard from, as we say, uh, in electoral politics. Okay, we're not I think we're not quite ready for Carly here. So I'm going to go over to Dennis, who's been waiting a really long time except that I can't find my cursor right now. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Oh, by the way, the number is 860-275-7266. That's what you do when you can't find your cursor. You see the phone number again. Here's Dennis. Dennis in Ellington. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, Colin, how are you? I'm excellent. Thank you for asking. You're welcome. Uh, listen, I, what I don't understand is how the Democrats can be, can be starting to line up behind Lamont. This is a guy who spent unlimited amount of cash on two national elections and lost them both times. Well, we actually, are a retail state. Yeah, they were actually both state right. elections, but uh, well, you know, in a statewide office. But yeah. I mean, you know, he lost twice, and Joe Gannum, Joe Gannum's a criminal. Right. Well, I he's, mean, that's not that's not an insult. That's a fact. Yeah, he served so, his time, uh, and we have an opportunity to nominate somebody who has won two offices, mm-hmm. who who has held a statewide office, and is a woman, it's Susan. Oh, Susan Bicewitz. Oh, that, so that's yeah. where, okay, this is like a Susan Bicewitz thing. Okay, I wasn't sure where you were going with this. Well, yeah, my, my point is that the, uh, you know, the, the state is not, you know, is not a wholesale place. I don't think the state can be bought. I think, hmm. I think um, Linda McMahon and, and, uh, and uh, Lamont proved that twice each. I mean, Linda spent $500 million or $50 million in an election. So for for uh, for senator, and right. she, she got nowhere. Right. So whether it's Republicans or Democrats, we don't want to be wholesale. Um, like people want to look you in the eye and say, you know, vote for me. Right. I mean, just to be fair to Ned Lamont or something, anyway, the last time that Susan Bicewitz ran after having supported public financing uh, as a concept, she said she wasn't going to do it. Um, that she'd rather raise the money privately. So not everybody is like always ent- entirely consistent about these things. Um, no, I don't. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, but but the point is that you know she's put herself out there. She was she was in the uh, Secretary of State's office when they they changed the uh, the voting machines mm-hmm. and kept our, and made sure that ours had a paper ballot backup and we were not tied to the internet. Mm-hmm. So she took a lot of grief for that. But in retrospect, that was a great move. Well, you certainly are a super fan. So, um, so what was what will you do if she either doesn't qualify for the primary or uh, or if she doesn't win the primary, she gets in the primary and and Lamont or somebody else secures the nomination finally. I guess I'll have to support Lamont, hmm. but I can't imagine why we would think a a Greenwich millionaire would get to pull us out of a mess. 
you know, who's never worked with the legislature. I learned, and, and Ganem, I can't vote for Ganem. Ganem, I'd sit home before I voted for Ganem. So there you go. So that's, that's the situation. That's a deal breaker for you. All right. Well, listen, Dennis. I, I think so. Yeah. Great to talk, talk to you. Lovely to talk to you. Let's talk to uh, Carly. Uh, Carly's calling in from Collinsville, I believe. Hi, Carly. You're on the air. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Excited to do so. I agree with your comments about people not voting with Trump in mind on these statewide um, offices, mm-hmm. but I I have a little bit of a disagreement with um, him having no effect. I think he will have a great effect in the number of activists that are going to make sure we get out the vote. I, I agree with you. I, I agree <laughs> that, that people who feel, I, I think that you, you've touched on a very good point, which is that the people who feel as though they somehow or other didn't do enough or nobody did enough in 2016 that we, you know, that we should have expended every single possible effort that we could have to have avoided this undesirable result, but we didn't realize what a close reality it was, are going to do more. And certainly groups like Indivisible uh, that have sprung up here in Connecticut uh, are a sign of that. Uh, so I would agree that, yes, I, I, do, I don't think people are going to either vote or not vote for a certain candidate because Trump. But you're absolutely right in this, terms of the background radiation, there's a way in which Trump has motivated and activated a whole group of people across generations who maybe didn't right. think it was their job uh, before to do anything. Yep. So there you Don't go. We agree. Much. Yeah. Which is not that interesting radio, but it's nice that we agree anyway. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks for calling in. Uh, our number, 860-275-7266. Okay. Well, let's take another Joe Gannam call. I don't mind talking about Joe Gannam. Hi. Uh, Mary, Ann, uh, Mary Lynn. I'm sorry. Mary Lynn from, where are you from, Mary Lynn? Collinsville. Collins. You're from Collinsville. Okay. Okay. But I grew up in Bridgeport. Uh-huh. Two years ago, I went to my high school reunion at Warren G. Harding High School. And there was a big argument at my table because they are building a new high school and they wanted to rename it after somebody else. Mm-hmm. The argument of most of the people at the table was, we want to stick with Warren G. Harding. At the time, he was a corrupt president. And they said, look, we've had Roland for governor corrupt. We've had... Orangey Harding, our high school is named after. We've had Gannon, Mayor, corrupt. Let's stick with corruption. So a lot of the people on the table probably would not be surprised that Trump got in. Mm-hmm. And I completely, after being amazed at how popular Roland remained and other convicted politicians, I would say that my guess would be Gannon. Yeah. The only monkey wrench is that Lamont volunteered at Warren G. Harding High School, so I don't know where they would go with that. Right. So this is like a completely Bridgeport-centric view of things. Well, I'm a little bit confused. I want to go back to the reunion or whatever that was. So who, who, what were the other ideas besides Warren G. Harding? For the new, well, I think a lot of the people, it's very diverse high school when I went there. Um, A lot of the people wanted to wanted it to be named after Obama, but Mm. he wasn't dead yet, so that kind of threw a monkey wrench in that idea. I think you're still allowed to do that, but it it may be just too soon anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole idea was, like, somebody not like... I mean, it's kind of funny that it is Warren G. Harding. I mean, depending on how your sense of humor goes. Yeah, Uh, it was. I mean, and the other claim to fame for Warren G. Harding High School was that they were on double sessions for 43 years. mm Mm-hmm. 
And so that was like the two things of we had a court president and we were on double sessions longer than any other place in the country. Right. Like double sessions mean like there's not enough space for the. Right. Yeah. Okay. They built an addition when I was a senior. But before that, that was a huge deal that um, some of the students had to basically leave school in the evening, like after dark and go home. So, Mary Lynn, uh, as an expert in behavioral health, I'm going to make an assessment of you. Uh, and I'm, it's really an assessment of an entire group of people. I feel that you could move to Collinsville. You could move to Paris. Uh, you could move to uh, Kathmandu, <laughs> Nepal. You would still be from Bridgeport. You'd still be thinking Bridgeport thoughts. I think Bridgeport uh, leaves a very special mark. I'm not going to say... Mark st- Twain, by the way, called Bridgeport... Bilgeport, yeah, which is also very popular. <laughs> All right. Well, you'll be Bridgeport forever. You can take the girl out of Bridgeport. Apparently, you can get the Bridgeport out of the girl. All right. We do need to take a break. Uh, Adrienne, hang on there. We'll get right to you when we come back. And we'll take some more phone calls, too. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan with help from me, Kyone Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Mark Bowden. On tomorrow's show, Gravity. And now, back to Colin. All right. Uh, great to have Kyone Wolf back. Um, she was off for most of last week. Uh, so uh, we've got the whole team here today, and Josh Nalea is taking calls. Betsy Kaplan, yes, is uh, producing this show. Uh, and what am I supposed to do? Oh, I'm supposed to talk to Adrienne. So we've got a whole bunch of calls on the board here. I had a couple other ideas I wanted to bring up, but you know what? Uh, who cares what I think? We'll, we'll talk to you about what you think. Here's Adrienne from New Milford, I think. Hi, you're on the air. Hi, Colin. How are you? Good. Um, I was just listening to uh, one of the earlier people who was who was speaking, and she said she's independent. And I just have to tell you, I'm a Democrat. I've been a registered Democrat since I could vote, I think at age 18. I don't understand independence, and especially in this state. There's so many of them. You said there's more of them than there are of either party. But they never have any organization. They don't have any real serious candidates. They never win anything for the most part. So I, I just don't get them. And I think that um, there seems to be a general attitude among the populace. I don't know if it's just confined to Connecticut, but uh, that politics is, is really icky and nobody ever wants to get involved. And, and if they actually did get involved, they would see that they could make a difference. So I think it's, you know, the ones who sit on the sidelines and say, well, I don't want to be in either party. I just don't, I don't buy that argument anymore. You know, it's interesting because, I mean, one thing that I uh, notice is that people do use that word independent as opposed to unaffiliated. Unaffiliated is actually uh, a better way. I, I think the caller you're talking about said independent, too. Mm-hmm. What's funny about this is I haven't checked registration for a while for this, but it used to be that the third largest party in Connecticut is the Independent Party. There is actually a party called the Independent Party. But I think a lot of people check it because they think that they're an independent voter. They think they're checking no party affiliation. Yeah, um, but but do the, does the Independent Party actually caucus? Do they have a convention? I, I, you know, I don't hear very much about them. There have been some battles about who, who actually is in control of the Independent Party. It's actually a, a funny story I don't have time to tell. But, um, <laughs> the, um, but I, you know, your point's a good one. I, I do feel as though some people do feel as though they kind of reserve that right. They reserve the right to refuse service to either party. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I understand that. If I were 
I think I'm a little bit more like you that if I even if I felt that way, even if I felt that neither party really satisfied me, um, I would pick one of them just so I could participate in the primary. Yeah, because there's so many people sit on the sidelines and they don't even vote. And, you know, if they got out there and actually voted and uh, they would see a difference, they truly would. So I just don't get it. Also, if I were the Republicans, I would have an open primary because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, their their base is so small. It's they're kind of not they're depriving themselves of a chance to talk to a larger group of voters. All right. So um, let's go. Well, I'll just kind of go down down the line here. Am I permitted to do that? So here's Raymond in Cromwell. Hi, Raymond. You're on the air. Thank you. I'm a Republican. I'm a registered Republican. I am opposed to Trump. And somebody, a couple, three callers before it said, or you mentioned about down ticket stuff. Yeah. Our state rep, Christy Carpino, before the general election, I asked her if she supported Trump. And she said, yeah, we're stuck with him, kind of like the uh, the guy who used the euphemism for a body part. Well, he's our, you know, we're stuck with him. You're not stuck with him. You have to, you know, vote your conscience if you have one. And I believe, you know, we all do. And, you, you know, Trump is wide on so many issues, and he's not fulfilling any of the, uh, I'm not sure what they are. The, you know, I'll leave the euphemisms go, but definitely I'm not supporting her. So um, so about, how about anybody else? Now, it is true that uh, at the state convention where I just was, there was no disavowing of Trump among the Republicans. Uh, I, I don't think anybody did, any, did anything like that among the eight gubernatorial nominees. Or, But, I mean, that doesn't mean... I think that it would be a very very difficult environment in which to disavow a Republican president. But um, but I, I don't know. Does anybody? Are you excited about anybody running for anything here in Connecticut? Like <laughs> Your silence speaks words. For election, you know, I I I I find myself supporting a lot of the the Democrats. You know, and that the fact that I'll put it in Spanish. The women seem to have more cojones than the men, right? You know, and speaking up against Trump. And if you have nothing to lose, it's it's profiles of whatever lack of courage, profiles in cowardice. Yeah. And also, my my last quote is the Stephen Decatur thing. You know, uh-huh. my country may she always be right, but my country always, you know, right or wrong. Yeah. It's not my president may he or she always be right. It you know you have to vote your profile in courage. There you I thank go. you. I'll let other people talk. Okay. I'm being told I should take. I can't actually see what Shelley's question is, but it looks interesting. All right, here's Shelley in Middlebury. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Colin. How are you? Good. Um, I don't. I have to say, I, I don't participate. I always vote, but in, in all the elections, from mm-hmm. my town all the way up um, to the presidential election. Um, but I don't know much about Susan Bicewitz, and mm-hmm. she's a woman running for governor. Um, is she a progressive? What's her problem? I looked her up on Facebook, and I looked through what she said about the issues, but I wanted to know, you're really into politics. You know more than I do, particularly at the state level, about what's going on. Um, tell me about what you think of her. Well, I mean, uh, <laughs> I can see why they were daring me to take this call now. So, Susan Bicewitz, I, I, the th- first thing you need to know is everybody in the, on the, in the Democratic Party is currently calling him or herself a progressive. 
Um, I, I mean, uh, they are all invoking that word. They think it's a good word. I don't necessarily know that they've mapped a specific set of meanings onto it. I think they just know that they should say that they're progressive. So Ned Lamont said he's progressive. I assume Susan has said that she's progressive. Uh, Luke Bronin was saying he, I, they, everybody was saying they're progressive. I, I think it's a word that has temporarily been emptied out of its me, of its meaning. What progressive really should mean, I think, is if you're truly a progressive, you're in favor of a significant redistribu- redistribution of resources, influence, and power. You know, I mean, I the, the Bernie Sanders message was a progressive message that, that you really mean that things can't stay the way that they are, that people who have less should get more, uh, both in terms of resources, influence, power, all those things. I don't is think any of those... Running, is there anybody running for governor that you think meets those... Uh, Qualification. No, that's an easy, easy one. No, n- n- nobody is anything like that there. And I wouldn't I certainly don't think Susan Bicewitz is anything like that. No, you know, okay. I, I, I think in terms of I'm not going to make any big pronouncement on Susan Bicewitz campaign right now, because I think that's what this summer is for. Assuming she qualifies for the primary, there's going to be a campaign and she can lay out her positions. I certainly I've known her for a very, very long time. I've covered some of her other campaigns and I certainly covered her time as secretary of state. But and and, and there are various uh, um, conclusions one might take away from that history. But I say she hasn't been in office for about eight to 10 years. Um, so let's start the clock all over again. What kind of story can she tell us about exactly the kinds? Of, you're asking all the right questions, Shelley. You, you, I don't know if you're going to get your answers, but you're right. asking all the questions that a voter absolutely should ask. And, and whoops, and you're trying to do the things that a voter should do. So first of all, I just completely applaud that. Um, you, the summer is for you to try to get those kinds of answers, and presumably. Well, you either will or you won't. I mean, candidates don't always really tell you everything that you want to know. So we have to stop here. I dare not take another call. It's too bad, too, because I had this a whole other thing I wanted to talk about, about representation. I mean, Republicans in Connecticut often get a lot of grief because they don't nominate candidates of color. But Democrats don't do that much better, to tell you the truth. It's a conversation maybe we'll have on another day. I mean, there are other people who say, well, that's not important. May the best person win. Of course, that kind of rhetoric has been used to justify all kinds of discrimination in the past under the rubric of, oh, no, it's really just the best person winning, as opposed to people who just don't get any opportunities at all. But as you can see, that's a conversation for the beginning of a show, not the end of one. Thank you very much for listening today. These have been fun, these call-in shows. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe we'll keep them going. Let us know if we should. Colin at WNPR.org. You can email me there, Colin at WNPR.org, or tweet at us at WNPR Colin.